views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Wow. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's great to have all of you tuning us in and turning us on. I'm really thrilled about today's show. You know, for those of you out there, um, you know, you've been listening to us for about 15 years, I'd say. And, you know, somewhere along the way, you've heard me talk about so many different things, especially my own family history. My mom committing suicide when I was six. Um, my sister very unexpectedly in a situation of abuse. Actually, I've lost all, all of my sisters to some kind of addiction. Uh, in that arena. And one of the things that I've been become acutely aware of is, was my life going to be different? You know, it, was there something that I could learn? Is there something new for my family history that might be different? And, you know, here I am today getting ready to introduce you uh, to someone who uh, has made a profound impact on the way we look at the level of peace we have in our lives. You know, that place that we can get to uh, look at and how it is that we take the world of science and we take the world of mindfulness and we bring things together so that we understand that there is a place where these two things aren't considered totally in opposite energy forces. But when we think about that, why is it so difficult for us to grasp on to the nature of becoming aware? Today, I'm really thrilled to have Dr. Daniel Siegel joining us here today. Yep, he is. He's out there. He is one of the most sought-after experts on the human mind. Now in his fabulous book, Aware, by the way, right here, Love it. Got it. Um, we're going to take a journey about the science and the practice. I love that. Science and practice. Science and practice uh, of presence. And today's journey is going to be one where, for those of you that are skeptical, maybe on the fence, maybe thinking it doesn't apply to me. 
I have got a disease nobody can figure out. Or maybe you're thinking I got a history like Pat and I can't really get out of uh, my situation, what's going on in my body, my mind. Now it's affecting my spirit. Today, get ready for this. Because when we look at what we can do with this new narrative, do we really have to suffer anymore? Dr. Siegel, thank you for joining me here today. Uh, thanks. Uh, now, I'm going to call you Dr. Bacilli. Yo, call me Dr. Pat. All right, then you call me Dr. Dan or just call me Dan. Dr. Dan. I Very like good. that. <laughs> okay, uh, Dan. I was going to say Dr. Dan the man, but I won't do that today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's close to Van the man, Van Morrison. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to start out with a conversation about, um, oh my gosh, I got some information uh, across my desk the other day. And I was really struck by now the fact that uh, the prescriptions that are now written for anxiety, I, I read this in the latest study, for anxiety are now, the number of prescriptions have now exceeded the prescriptions for pain medicine. Oh my. Oh. Yeah. Well, listen, right? You're thinking, yes, but doesn't it really talk to part of the reason that you're out there with this book and this message? Yeah, well, I mean, there are ways, <laughs> excuse me, you can use your mind to absolutely transform states of anxiety in terms of the anxiety medications. And it's really, I think, a call to action uh, for getting the word out that, in fact, you have available to you a mind training practice that has been research proven to reduce anxiety. And this is an incredible moment where we have the research now, and it's just a matter of getting people uh, to know about these practices and see their effect on their lives. So it's a, it's a great conversation to begin, Dr. Pat, about the uh, the power of the mind to actually change states we otherwise would think we were frozen into and uh, yeah. they're going to be our legacy forever. But the fact is you can mm -hmm. change using your mind how your brain and body function. Um, uh, yeah, I want to ask you this question. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, Dr. Dan Siegel joining me here today, medical degree from Harvard, right? Postgraduate post at UCLA, uh, training in pediatrics, uh, best-selling author, has written about the mind, has, goes out and speaks about the mind, uh, helps us understand how to tap into the power, right? Uh, how to look at a journey to the heart of being human. All of these, all of these you've done. I want to ask you this question. In everything you've done, everything you've written, where you are in the world, what have some of the challenges been for you personally, Dr. Dan, to become Dr. Dan? Uh, well, I'm not sure exactly what it means to become Dr. Dan. Ah! So. <laughs> uh, but I can say in general what some of the challenges have been. Um, and, I, and I talk about this in a book called Mind, you know, my last book, um, to look at the journey uh, of, of trying to bring science in a deep way to bear on some of the issues we face as a humanity and also as an individual human. And in that journey, I would say some of the biggest challenges are that people have taken on some 
beliefs that we don't even question. Uh, one of them, for example, is that the self comes only from your body mm. and not from your relationships, or the mind only comes from your brain and your head and not from your whole body or from your relational world. So those two kind of categories that have a language-based term, one mind, one self, I would say those are the biggest challenges in my own journey as um, a person, as a spouse, as a friend, as a father, as a person on the planet, you know, um, and also as a therapist, um, a psychiatrist, uh, so as a physician and also a scientist, I work in all those areas and an educational person, you know, teaching all sorts of folks, parents and therapists and teachers and scientists. These two words, I would say, are the biggest challenges. What do we do with them? Um, and part of the journey of aware is to say, you know, what our awareness changes how we deal with concepts like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And even, yeah, yeah even uh, as I'm about to drink some water, I realized yeah. uh, 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 someone visiting me, a scholar visiting me, made this cup for me. Can you read it or is it backwards? It, 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 no, I, I can read it. Okay, uh, for me it's backwards, but it says what? We are going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. So this word we has been this fun kind of campaign that started with a student of mine who got really mad when I was saying, let's go to me to we and, and uh, <laughs> said, no, we shouldn't get rid of the me. And I realized, you know, an integrated identity where you have differentiated parts being linked would be something else. So together, she was really forceful. Think of something else, think of something else. So I said, how about not only me, but also we? And she said that didn't rhyme. So we, <laughs> what I offered to her and she loved it. So I've been using that as like an integrated idea yeah. that the self is both within your body and the mind of course is within your body, but it's not limited to your body. It's also in our relational world. And that's the we part. So you bring them together with me plus we equals mm -hmm. we idea. If we go to, I we, love it. Okay. Yeah. And doesn't that talk to, isn't that funny? Cause that talks to the quote in your book. You know, it really does. I love this quote and I couldn't wait to talk with you about it right at the beginning of the book. Everybody, it says a mind that is stretched to a new idea never returns to its original dimension. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, tell, um, me, tell me how you react to that, Dr. Pat. I'll tell you how I react to it. I made a statement to somebody a number of years ago, and I was defending my, um, my, my dissertation. I studied the consequence of broken promises. You can only imagine I was depressed. I probably should have called you after eight <laughs> years of studying that, right? I should have studied what nice you're studying. You. Oh, boy, they, they never told me. Um, and I said, the bottom line for me is once you have an experience, you can never have the same experience ever again. It's impossible. And it started this big debate. I actually eliminated it from my dissertation because I just didn't want to. And I couldn't explain it in science. I, I didn't have this book. I didn't have that. And what I was trying to say is exactly what this quote means is that a mind is stretched to a new idea never returns to its original dimension. It's almost like you can't go back. Right, exactly. Right? But yeah, the question I want to ask you about this, yeah. how do we help people, and you talk about this in your Wheel of Awareness, how do we help people move forward at the pace that an idea might call us forward at? 
Meaning we have a giant idea to go from one channel to 10 and we're three months away from building that technology. So when people talk to us about it, we don't know what it's like not to have that idea. It's like we can't relate to it. And so sometimes we almost feel like we don't have enough knowledge. But this quote really, isn't this the basis for what you talk about when you, when you talk about aware? Yeah. Well, I mean, the basic idea in aware that stretches the mind, even in young minds like five-year-olds, where we teach them the wheel of awareness, is that you can differentiate the metaphoric hub of this wheel as the knowing of consciousness from the rim, which represents the knowns, like hearing a word or seeing something or even having an idea. The idea is something that's on the rim, but the hub lets you know the idea. Now, once people start living this idea, and it's like Maya Angelou's comment, people won't remember what you said. They won't even remember what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. That feeling involves a change in perception that an idea can stimulate. And this shift in perception has a feeling to it. That's the feeling side of it. And that's what we have to inspire people to do when you talk about the speed of change. I think it's why I spent all this time writing the book Aware was that, you know, you can write books, and I've written them certainly with lots and lots and lots of thoughts and scientific notions and stuff like that. But you really want to give people an experience. So Aware is really saying, let's let's have you do an experience that shifts the way the hub and the rim relate to each other. And then once you feel that change, then the idea becomes woven into the way you filter reality. And that filtering shifts your feelings. It shifts your notions of things. It shifts how you categorize things. And those shifts and filters are exactly, ironically, what the book is all about. Maybe not ironically, but the book ultimately gets to that point, which says, you know, here's what the thing that just changed in you is. You know, it's a shift in these filters. So it's a very uh, exciting moment you know, yes. to get into this stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm thrilled to be speaking with you about it, Dr. Pat. And, you know, the, the great thing about it is it's accessible to everyone. And so that's what we need to do. Is yeah, I am so grateful for you. I mean, what Linda was saying to me, Linda's my best friend and my producer, right? But she's been my best friend since 73, right? So she knows oh. everything about me, right? Yeah. She knows about like my homeless days, you know, I mean, you, na- you name it. She knows everything about me. And when I got the book, she, you know, uh, she says, did you, did you get the book? Did you get the, did, did the book? Did you look at the book? Did you review it? I says, yeah. And I said, how quickly can we speak with him? And of course, we have to go through the process Um, because when I read the book, I mean, there's so much I want to talk with you about today. And as a matter of fact, we'll go ahead and skip this break. There's so much in here that we are that that you're bringing forth that we absolutely do not want to talk about in our in, in, in our society right now. We do not want to talk about the emotional experience of things. Even after publications on publications of emotional, I mean, come on, you know, we're, we're as as people, researchers, we're out there talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. We've we've researched it. 
But to embrace this side of an experience in life, it seems like a daunting challenge. However, the way that you presented this now and the way that you present the wheel of awareness, um, it helps us understand that part of our journey has to do with an interconnectedness that sometimes, Dr. Dan, we can't explain. Exactly. We can't explain it, right? Well, Dr. Pat, you know what's so amazing and I want to honor if you need to take a break we can take a break but I'm I like to not take breaks because it gets me so either so are we going to keep on we're going to keep going okay great so you know I'll say this you know that um there's a a moment in our evolution as a human family where there's a potential convergence of fields that usually don't speak to each other like math and physics with anthropology and sociology, and then, of course, psychology and biology. We, we, we're at a moment where there's what, what E.O. Wilson calls consilience. And one of the consilient findings that it, you know, I dive into deeply, as you know, in AWARE, is that the hub of this metaphoric wheel that separates the knowing of consciousness from the known, when you do this practice, which I did, I'm a scientist. I did it with 10,000 people in workshops, wow. recorded those who took the microphone, which were many, and said what their experience was all around the planet, found the common, basically universal findings across, of course, everyone's unique and different, but there were patterns when you do it with 10,000 people, you see them. Um, and then asked the question, what might the science of energy be if the mind as i had suggested years ago is emerging from energy flow what might the science of energy tell us that might correlate with the profound differences between people's feeling in the hub versus their feeling on the rim right so it became that simple you know and the science of energy actually was much more helpful, I'm going to say, than the science of the brain. Right. And I love brain science. I think it's awesome. And, yeah. you know, I'm, it's, I'm doing some brain science research on the wheel and stuff. So we're getting ready with all sorts of very complex technological ways of studying the brain. But it didn't have at this moment in our history of the science of the brain an essence that correlated with the 10,000 person study. So I had to. As a scientist, with all deep respect for my colleagues who said, don't go beyond the brain, (laughs) I I had to because it just wasn't enough. Um, And I apologize to them and whatever. And so in this book, you'll go into a deep dive into the science of energy. And when you do that, you get these scientifically established findings that when I would speak about them in recent workshops before the book came out, people would say, oh, it sounds a little loosey-goosey, you know, and then July 2018, the cover of Scientific American was about the physics study of energy, and the question was, when does the quantum realm of reality interface with the Newtonian realm? Mm. And this is exactly what I had been lecturing about, because in, in large bodies, like our bodies we live in, or planets, we have what Sir Isaac Newton figured out were laws of how large objects called macro states, how they interact with each other. So we have gravity and forces and 
what's called an arrow of time. Like if you and I crack an egg open in the kitchen, we can't uncrack it because it's a macro state. But at the micro state level of an electron or a photon, we now know for the last 100 years that the properties that predict the kinds of behaviors of microstates to the trillionth power. So it's empirically one of the most useful sets of laws are completely different than Newtonian laws of large body macrostates. Mm-hmm. So this is called the quantum realm of a quanta unit of an energy field, basically a probability field is what it is, of an electron is just acting in the reality that we live in very differently than the bodies we're born into. Mm-hmm. So we're used to large body thinking, but what the 10,000 person study suggests is that when you drop into pure awareness in the hub and out of what we're usually locked into, which is our thoughts and our reactions and perceptions on the rim, when you actually do this differentiation of hub from rim and get into the hub, time disappears. Mm. A sense of connection to all things happens. A feeling of things being not so predictable arises this incredible feeling of joy. For some, it's a feeling of God. Many have described a feeling of love and awe. And when you look at all the studies of those things, what I think they're coming from is from the minds dropping into a probability space that we can talk about, but that is in the quantum realm. Mm -hmm. Whereas the rim is up on Newtonian levels of things having an arrow of time. And there is no arrow of time in pure awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I was really struck by as I was reading the book is I, I, w- I thought about this. I want to use the, I want to use the uh, mind and energy flow of the body for a moment. I want to just, in your book, you talk about this, but I want to get back to something you said about the egg. Um, again, this incredible study where I brought up the experience issue, right? That I was determined that if we were going to talk about broken promises, we couldn't just do it empirically. Mm-hmm. Yes, we could do studies and we could ask questions, but it seemed weird to me that you're going to talk about some, something that they call psychological contract violation. Basically it's broken promises, but you don't want to, you don't want to talk about like the experience. And I brought the experience issue up and I said, listen, the problem with any studies on this is that once somebody has the experience, they're never the same. So it ended up turning into, great, Pat, now do quantitative and qualitative. Mm. I had no idea what I was uncovering. And I was reading your book and I was really struck because now I've got public publicists. People want me to actually publish a book on broken promises. I have to tell you, I don't know that I have it in, in me, Dr. Dan. <laughs> I mean, believe, I, I do positive talk radio. I have a positive talk radio network. But here's the thing I want to ask you about. As I started to do these interviews, right, of course I had to break things into categories and cluster analysis and all those scientific things you do. I did. In, I have 1,200 pages of interview notes. When I started to ask these questions, something cracked open in people. 
I heard from people that no one ever asked them about that particular thing that they felt betrayed. Mm. I had no idea what I was getting into. So there was a level of awareness and a moment in these conversations where you could see the relief in people. And I didn't really have an answer for them. I want to ask you about awareness in the wheel. Does it help us? Does it go beyond perhaps the trauma or does it transcend or help us transcend really difficult times in our lives? Can it get us perhaps not to um, uh, alter an experience by recognition, but accept an experience in a way that we have not had to before or not been able to? Yeah, well, there's so much to say about that. You know, um, let's begin with some pretty uh, foundational notions that we were addressing when you asked me, you know, what are, what are the challenges of this journey? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, if we start with the idea that the mind is both relational and fully embodied, then a relationship where a promise is broken, if that is a relationship with someone who is um, defining who we are, Mm -hmm. so you can, you know, have a neighbor that's just irritating you, (laughs) they don't define who you are and they break your, the promise of, you know, sharing the cost on the fence, you know, you get irritated, you just build the fence and pay the money. It doesn't shatter you, you know, But if it's a person, you know, who is fundamental to defining who you are in a healthy way, this is not like some weird thing. It's how life goes. Then, you know, a promise broken is a fractured self. Mm. So I think your, your theme, you know, broken promises is really a powerful framing of the centrality of relationships as one facet of who we are. It's not the totality, but it's right. a really important um, facet. Now, if you then go from mind is relational to what we're saying in defining the self, then you say, well, how are mind and self related to, let's say, awareness? And what is the journey of therapy to heal from a, a broken promise? Is mm-hmm. that a kind of Direction you want to go in this? Yeah, yeah. Do you see? Because I think in the end, after eight years of research on this, you know, um, the aha moment for me was how interconnected so many things were. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't, although research, you know, kind of forces us to compartmentalize things for the for the study. But in the end, when I got to write about it, I was like, oh, okay, I got to write this. Right. So here's a way to think about it. and, you know, this, this field I work in called interpersonal neurobiology, we do this process called consilience, where we look for the common findings across usually siloed, yeah. independent, non-communicating disciplines like math and physics versus, let's say, anthropology or mm-hmm. psychology or something. Um, so here's just something to say. We're born into a body, which is a large macro state a collection of microstates, you know, molecules. Um, And 
in this large body world we live in, we have this understandable perceptual experience that Dr. Pat, you have a body there and Dr. Dan has a body here and anyone listening, you have your own body. And it's a very understandable thing that the human brain does, which it takes energy patterns and quickly turns them into categories just to try to organize experience Mm -hmm. and then concepts that come from those categories and then linguistic symbols that says there's Dr. Pat, here's Dr. Dan, this kind of thing. And it's very understandable. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that. It's just what the human brain does and the mind in part, not in total, but in part is then influenced by those categories and concepts and linguistic symbols. Now, you take the fact that we have a mind, which, you know, through a long line of reasoning and writings and stuff, you know, what I've suggested, which is not ever said, but so it could be called totally wrong, but I've suggested the mind, in fact, is an emergent phenomena of energy flow, not of the brain alone. Uh, it certainly involves your whole body's energy flow. But then it involves our sharing of energy patterns that we call a relationship. So that view, which I was speaking at our annual meeting with Antonio Damasio, and he doesn't talk like that, but I put it right to him. <laughs> I said, what about the mind as an emergent property of energy? And he said that is scientifically completely sound, you know, and a good idea to do that. So I felt with a very traditional neuroscientist, this was, you know, finally somebody said that sounds reasonable from a neuroscience point of view. Right. Once you do that, then you go to the science of energy. And as I mentioned, the Scientific American had a discussion of this as their cover story. There are two realms of reality at the microstate level of energy patterns, like an electron. These quanta of energy, these patterns of probability distributions, basically is what they are. What they involve is profound relationality. So rather than the macro state, what's called Newtonian classical physics view of objects that then are separate from each other and can interact with each other, you're actually thinking in quantum terms about the relationality of reality. And with the 10,000 person study, I think what it suggests might be going on is that pure awareness, the knowing of consciousness, fundamental to human life and maybe life of other creatures too, comes from a quantum place called the quantum vacuum. That's what mm-hmm. I am proposing in the book. Mm-hmm. And that it looks like that explains why people all over this planet, when they do the wheel of awareness, some people, not everyone, but it's around the planet, so it's not dependent on culture or meditation history or anything. They have a loss of time. They feel connected to everything, all these things I mentioned. And that, I think, is the subjective feeling arising from energy when it has moved out of these more um, uh, Newtonian-like states of perceptions of your body, but down into what's called the probability position of this quantum vacuum this what's called sea of potential mm-hmm. or in our graph that we have it's called a plane of possibility and there are amazing implications of that that we can talk about but it helps understand broken promises because from the place of awareness yeah. that you can see 
the above plane values, which are called plateaus and peaks, from a fractured promise, those plateaus and peaks would embed sometimes in an imprisoning, temporarily imprisoning way, you know, the feeling of being fractured and, you know, not whole. And, and it could have the associated feeling of shame or grief or fury, you know. And when those plateaus of states of mind give rise to their limited peaks, you can feel this incessant, you know, desire for revenge and mm. feeling not whole and feeling like you're trapped or thinking of killing yourself or something's not right or I just am, I, I got to get complete, I'm not complete. When you drop into the plane of possibility, you're doing this in a metaphoric way by dropping into the hub in two independent workshops I just did a week long, each of them, um, we had people with exactly this kind of thing, broken promises, uh, profound states of anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. despair. And as one person said, as she dropped into the hub, she felt like she died. Oh. And in front of 150 people, I had to work wow. with her around, what does it feel like to be dead? And the amazing thing was in a very short amount of time, just a few minutes, she could say, I'm in pieces and at peace. And then as we worked more with the concept of these, the plateaus and the peaks that had been now fractured, and now by dropping into the hub, she found what at first felt like death, but now she was realizing that while uncertainty for people who've been traumatized and have broken promises can feel like death, uncertainty is actually a synonym for possibility. Mm. And once she could see that correlation, that she was frightened and had a plateau that was keeping her away from the uncertainty of the plane of possibility, the hub. Then within just a short amount of time, this shift happened in her where she realized all the other paths of her life that hadn't been available to her because she was stuck in a plateau and a peak. Now, once she dropped into the uncertainty that she was terrified to experience, so it felt like death, was actually birth, <sighs> was actually the opportunity to try becoming a new way. So as we talked about all this in front of 150 people and everyone was in the discussion, I turned to her and I said, can we check in with you now that we've talked about the plane of possibility and what the hub really is, what you're being dead feels like. And she just said, I'm not dead anymore. She pointed to her face mm -hmm. with this huge smile on it. She said, my smile is all I need to say to you. Wow. And then as the days went by in this week long workshop, she just was glowing, radiating wow. and her good friends who were there with her said they've never seen her so enriched and had a sense of vitality in her. Wow. So it's interesting that the wheel, and I talk about a case of Teresa's, you know, I have five cases. Yeah, yeah. You can see why sometimes broken promises and betrayal and trauma can lock us in plateaus that say don't go to uncertainty because uncertainty is dangerous like a broken promise. Right. But ironically and sadly and, you know, in a powerful way, once we know it, dropping its uncertainty is not just awareness and the pause between impulse and action, this plane of possibility. It's also the mathematical space in which other options rest and you can choose other ways to be from the plane of possibility. Mm. Wow. 
you know, one of the things I want to talk with you about, and we will take a short break only because when we come back, I've got several copies of the book to give away. For those of you that are just tuning in, I'm thrilled to have Dr. Dan Siegel joining me here today. And the book is called Aware of the Science and Practical, the Science and Practice of Presence. This is, uh, it's beyond groundbreaking. And when we come back from break, you're going to hear why. After all the things Dr. Dan just shared, tip of the iceberg based on what's in the book, what is the possibility, not probability, possibility, what is the possibility of altering the state of illness? What is the possibility of reversing autoimmune types illnesses? What is the possibility of reversing holds that the mind may have on us we call depression what are the possibilities for improving our heart's function so in the end what are the possibilities of creating a thriving life based on this breakthrough work let's take a short break when we come back we're going to give copies of the book away uh and we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the uh, wheel of awareness and uh, what is it about this that all it needs is a willingness to explore stay tuned everybody we'll be right back with the show Divinations Radio, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream with Autumn Seibel. Tune in the first Friday every month at 9 a.m. Pacific as Autumn, educator, health coach, and medium, explores metaphysical and mainstream strategies on how to elevate your level of conscious living. Draw in the abundance that is yours by divine right. For more information about working with Autumn, visit goldenotter.us. That's golden like the precious metal and otter like the precious animal.us. Stop thinking and start acting. And I'll tell you what repeated thinking does. It doesn't help you in creating your dream life. It actually creates a lot of unconscious stress. So remember how it feels when you think of something, but you don't do it. I want to call the doctor. I don't. I want to read a book. I don't. I want to go see a friend. I don't. I want to go on a diet, I don't. So there's many things where you think of something and you don't do it. And what happens is that when you don't do it, it creates stress. Also undermines your own strength and confidence in yourself. So it's really important to get going. You have a thought, act it out, and you're done. Are you ready to make deep, lasting, transformative changes? Then tune in each month on Transformation Talk Radio for Susanna Jameson's hit show, Love Light Sound Radio. During her show, Susanna inspires and supports spiritually and health-conscious individuals all over the world to reconnect with their hearts, their inner peace, and balance. Love Light Sound Radio. Transformation happens here now. For more information, visit SusannaJameson.com. This is Debbie Pokornick with a break-free parenting tip. Parenting will always be a bit of a mystery. 
Who knows why some parenting ideas work and others do not? Or why some kids seem to succeed despite family setbacks, while others have so much given to them and yet fail to thrive? The one thing we do know is that once you have a child, you'll never be quite the same again. Awe-inspiring emotions like overwhelming love, extreme guilt, intense frustration, and incredible joy make this job second to none. Breaking free of parenting pressures means recognizing the pieces that make us unique, the pieces that we carry with us from the past, and the pieces that are influenced by the society we live in. When we can pick and choose which pieces we want to keep around and change the others to align with our inner wisdom, we will feel more self-assured in our role as a parent. For information and to work with Debbie, visit EmpoweringNRG.com. I'm talking about everybody. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back to the Dr. Pacho Transformation Talk Radio, all of the above. I have been so looking forward to talking with Dr. Dan Siegel. By the way, um, I want to make sure, Dr. Dan, that folks know, first of all, how they can find out more about you, about your work, and then where they can get a copy of the book. Absolutely. Well, you can find me at the website, drdansiegel.com. So it's D-R for doctor. Dan, D-A-N, then Siegel is S-I-E-G-E-L, drdansiegel.com. And you'll find all sorts of resources there and ways of getting more information about AWARE and the whole idea mm-hmm. of the Wheel of Awareness. We actually have um, a whole resource tab with various versions of the wheel that you can actually you know, yeah. do your wheel practice from. So we have a lot of people streaming the wheel from our website. Yeah, I really want to encourage people to take a look at that. When you go to the website, you know, you'll be able to find out a lot about Dr. Dan, but also you're going to be able to find out about all the other books that he's written and the work that he's doing as well. So please, it's drdansiegel.com. And then the book's available like where? Everywhere, right? Everywhere. Now it's all out. You can get it anywhere. Awesome. Uh, And uh, we're going to give away three copies of the book. So I want to go ahead and do that now, Benny. Uh, 1-800-930-2819. Just give us a call. Uh, 1-800-930-2819. And by the way, we are taking your questions as well. I've actually got a couple of questions in here that have come in through our instant feedback mechanism that I've Really totally in line, Dr. Dan, with what we're talking about. But let's go ahead and give away three copies of the book. 1-800-930-2819. Okay. One of the questions that did come in has to do with what I said before the break. I want to get right to the question of the power of of this and power of the wheel. And what I said before the break, um, and by the way, my own experience not having this science um, six months after I started this radio program, I came down with a mystery disease, Dr. Dan, and it was one of the most doubtful times in my life. You know, here I was, finished doctorate, should have gotten a big, big fat paying job, dissertation won awards, postdoctorate won awards, and I was depressed. Couldn't go get the big fat job. And I dialed the wrong phone number and I dialed into internet radio. And within 10 minutes, I pulled out a credit card 
and I bought her hour of internet radio in 03. I started to doubt myself and I got very sick. And as I'm reading your book, I was thinking to myself, I wish I would have known you then because I probably would have gotten better sooner, but I did get better. And I want to ask you about that, about the model, the science and the invitation that you have here as a remedy for a number of different things, but also to alter the state of the body. Right, right. Well, first of all, I'm glad you got better. Do you want to share with us how you got better? Or do you want me to just dive into the science of stuff? Uh, I want to say that if I'd have had your book, I probably would have followed it more acutely. I got better because I didn't give up doing radio. And I started to do something we're calling now positive talk. I interviewed people from all over the world because I was curious about how I was going to be well. I, I studied my own mind. And the one thing I will say for sure, I stayed optimistic. I mean, I'm probably oversimplifying, but I really did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And I was doing something I loved. Yeah. And I didn't know why I loved it. And I didn't know why I was paying so much money for airtime, but I do now. And I think that had something to do with it. I don't know. I want to hear from you. Well, first of all, it's a beautiful story you're telling, Dr. Pat. And I think the idea of positive things, we'll get into in a moment, and also the idea of purpose, you know, doing something which has meaning and is of service to the benefit of others, uh, is... Um, in research terms, has been shown to actually improve our health and improve our longevity. So you naturally came upon it, and it, it, uh, it living with purpose is a powerful way of actually bringing health to our lives. Um, when you ask the question, like, what is the science of the mind and its relationship to the health of the body, let me summarize some of those findings that um, I think people should know about And it comes from a broad range of research that looks at how you train the mind in particular ways. And when researchers look at these training approaches, you can call it meditation, you can call it reflective exercises, all sorts of words you can use. Meditation simply means uh, a practice that trains the mind. There are three pillars that have been identified to be helpful to our well-being. And those are, number one, learning to focus attention. So in the wheel practice, it turns out just fortunately, you do that in the first two segments of the rim. The first segment, you focus on the first five senses. In the first segment, you move over to the second or four segments. And there you explore the sensations of your muscles and bones and then your organs of your body. And so those are systematic focus of attention So that trains that. The breath is a common use of uh, focused attention training in general. The second pillar of mind training that's been shown to help in ways I'll get to in a moment is called open awareness. And this is quite different from focused attention where you choose an object, let's say the breath. When you get distracted, you then return to the breath when you let go of the distraction. Here you're inviting any kind of mental activity, like a feeling, a thought, a memory, a concern, a worry, a belief, an attitude, an intention, anything into awareness, you just invite it in with a bring it on attitude. So in a sense, you're sitting in the hub with the spoke of attention out to this third segment of the rim, 
just inviting things in. We then study the way those things that come in, come in. And we even bend the spoke around to explore the hub itself. All of those are examples of open awareness training, it turns out. So that's good. So that's the second mind training pillar. The third is classically called compassion or loving kindness. I think it's training intention. So I just call it kind intention. Uh, this third pillar of kind intention training uh, involves a sense of being connected to something larger than your skin encased body and having a kind regard for what goes on within the body and what goes on between this body and things outside the body. So other people, the planet, and this kind intention can be strengthened also once you're aware of these connections to all living beings, basically, you then go and you have these verbal statements you say in your inner voice um, and research on the brain shows, for example, when you say something that's positive and loving, it activates the positive loving circuitry of the brain. If you say something negative and hateful, it activates the negative and hateful <laughs> networks in the brain. I mean, you don't want to say it's, you can say it's not rocket science, but it is brain science. It is. And it's pretty, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of obvious, but anyway, because sometimes people say, why should I say these things? Well, you say them because it isn't just a linguistic network you're activating. The linguistic network activates the whole system. And if it's done in a positive way, it actually generates, I think, states of integration. So when you talk about positive attitude or positive psychology, as I've written about in other books, you know, positive states are, for me, are states of increased integration. Negative states like anger and hatred are decreased in integration. And integration for us is basically the differentiation and linkage of aspects of a system. And when you're not increasing states of integration, you're actually making yourself prone to chaos and rigidity, unhealth, basically. Health comes from integration. So the bottom line of all that is this fourth segment of the Wheel of Awareness practice, you're generating kind intention training. So what does the research show? The research shows that you have five physiological changes that have been demonstrated to happen in the body with three-pillar training, right? Focused attention, open awareness, kind attention. So I'll just call it three-pillar training. Um, and this three-pillar training um, shows that, number one, stress is reduced with the stress hormone cortisol decreased. Number two, immune function is improved so you can fight infections. Number three, cardiovascular risk factors are improved. So your blood pressure is lowered. Your heart rate becomes more coherent. Your, um, your cholesterol levels decrease. Wow. That's number wow. three. Number four, you actually decrease inflammation. You were asking about autoimmunity. Yeah, yeah. You decrease inflammation by altering the non-DNA molecules that sit on top of your genes that control inflammation. These are called epi, which means on top, genetic, on top of genes. The epigenetic regulators are, are changed in their configuration to reduce inflammation in the body. Wow. That's number four. And then number wow. five, that wasn't enough. We now know from the beautiful work of Alyssa Eppel and the Nobel Prize winning researcher Elizabeth Blackburn that they talk about in their magnificent book, The Telomere Effect, um, that it actually raises the level of an enzyme called telomerase, which is an enzyme in the body 
that maintains and repairs the caps on your chromosomes, which are very important telomeres is what they're called. So it's telomerase, but we pronounce it telomerase. And these repair and maintenance of the telomeres means your cells are able to reproduce longer and they're able to maintain their health with more integrity for a longer period of time. Mm. So when I sent the AWARE book, which summarized all this stuff to various scientists, one of them was Alyssa Ethel, who was Elizabeth Blackburn's uh, colleague writing that book, The Telomere Effect. And she wrote me back. She said, Dan, Dan, everything's great. The things, are, But you left something out. Did the book go to the printer? And I said, oh, my gosh, I probably have to write another chapter or something. So I wrote to her, it's going to the printer in two days. So your timing is perfect. My gosh, what did I leave out? And she says, everything's fine. But one thing you left out, you need to say, it slows the aging process and yeah. I said, get out of here yeah. Did you put, and, but you put it in the book yeah because yeah. of Alyssa so because Alyssa Apple, you know this professor at UC San Francisco she wrote to me she said you need to say that and she's the world's expert with Elizabeth Blackburn who won the Nobel Prize right. on aging right so I put it in there I mean it's kind of audacious but she said no, no. it's proven no so there you go so those well, I agree things. with you completely and you yeah. know the thing I love about your book is, first of all, it really does get to this. See, it also gets to the thing that I love to talk about. And I know we got two minutes left. Um, and that is that despite everything in the outside world and the environment and what we think is being done to us, in the end, we all have that Viktor Frankl gene inside of us. We all have that thing inside of us that allows us to make decisions contrary to what's going on in the outside world. Your book and what you're introducing to the world, I hope you'll come back because I didn't even get to happen. <laughs> but but I want to do part two, which is now that we know this, the ball is in your court. What are we going to do? What action are we going to take now with this new knowledge, right? right. See, I was never the same after that research. That's right. I couldn't take that big fat salary job at Land O'Lakes. I, I, I couldn't go back to be, you know, a top consultant. I, I couldn't enter into the world of change management again and tell people things that weren't true. I couldn't go back. See, we can't go back now with this knowledge. Well, we have to move part. forward. Yeah. Well, let's do part two because let's do part two. We integrate our brains with these practices, and we integrate our relationships with these practices, and that's what the world desperately needs us to do. And I'm happy to come back and I will. I hope you will come back. And you know, and uh, one of the things that I hope you will look at, uh, I don't know if you, you have the availability right now in this country and in the world, one of the most aggressive diseases that the medical profession will not cover is now affecting young people, old people worldwide, and we cannot get recognition. And for those of you that are wondering, it's chronic Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything that can help people, it's what you've done. Because everything you've talked about is not just manageable, but it really is a solution to really ending something and so many of these uh, attacks on our immune system. But what you've done is you've given people something beyond hope. You've given them a way out and a way up. And I want to thank you for that, Dr. Dan.
Thank you, Dr. Pat. It's a pleasure, and I'll look forward to part two. Part two. For those of you out there, go to Dr. Dan Siegel. The book is Aware, and I know we've given copies away. We've got more copies to give away, and I hope you will come back because when you come back, I want to go into the how-to so that people have a call to action to change their lives. Thank you so much for today. Thank you, Dr. Pat. A pleasure. I love this. Dr. Dan, we're going to have so much fun. Let's take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. 